0: You're listening to The Middle Ground. This week's guest is Sydney-based theatre producer, artistic director of Mad March Fair Theatre Company, director, actor, teacher, and skater with the Sydney Roller Derby League. Can I get a fuck yeah, Claudia Barry? I am so excited to have on the show, she's one of my favorite directors in Australia right now, and it ain't just me. In her recent production of Bengal Tiger, Baghdad Zoo at the Old Fitz, she garnered sold-out performances, rave reviews, including one from Kevin Jackson, who legit said, "Pay attention to her work. Something special this way comes. Do not miss this production if you cherish theatrical excellence, which is fucking baller. Enjoy." Listen to this absolutely prolific artist tell you what's up. Thank you so much for being with us alright,
1: thanks for having me. Of
0: course. How is your day today? Is it a lazy day or is it rushing from interview to thing to thing to thing
1: to thing? I got up early this morning, I had a couple of plays I had to finish reading. So uh, I've done that and now I'm just doing some scheduling for some callbacks.
0: Awesome. I really like to go back to right at the beginning, what the moment was where you went, yeah, I want to make stuff. Was it a movie? Did you see a play? Like what was it that really got you going?
1: Yeah, I guess that's a good question. Uh, I suppose like when I was a kid, I was, I was always making stuff. Yeah. I'm a child. So I had to sort of entertain myself (laughs) and I was, I was lucky enough to sort of grow up next door to a family that had two daughters my own age. And so I sort of would make them do shows with me. I sort (laughs) of drag them through rehearsal after rehearsal and then performance and stuff. And actually I'm, I'm still good friends with them. And one of the girls, Chrissy said to me, not that long ago, she said, and I fucking hated doing that shit. You know, <laughs> I was just yeah. I would just do the most awful things. I was like, okay, so you can be the drummer, you can be up the back, and and uh, Belinda, you can play the guitar, and I'll be the lead singer because I know all the words, so I'll be at the front. So um, that kind of established itself quite early on. And um, yeah, I guess just over the years, you know, I sort of my parents were really supportive of all of that sort of aspects of my creativity, and they always sort of encouraged me to to do those sorts of things. So I just kept going down that track and when I was in high school, I was doing quite well in in the creative arts and so I just sort of focused on it and my parents really supported me all the time, which was really, really nice. Yeah, then I sort of, I took a year off after high school and decided to audition for drama school, I got in. Those three years sort of made me love and hate the theatre world and the industry, like there was, I was a bit young, I think, looking back. (laughs) And I ended up taking a few years away from all of that. Uh, Not long after I graduated, I just wasn't ready. I guess you could say I did a bit of a sabbatical in in Whistler in Canada and just snowboarded for two years. And it was when I was there in my second season and I remember being like standing on top of this incredibly beautiful mountain, just looking at like the most spectacular part of the world and thinking, as much as I love it here, I can't stay here. This will never be enough. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I sort of, yeah, like I, that I had something that I really wanted to do with my life. And I guess telling stories was, was part of that. So, yeah, I packed my bags and I came back home. And I've sort of been working quite hard in, in the sort of independent sector since I came back. So about mid-2010, I sort of started putting some things in place and trying to build up a network again. And I guess that's kind of how I got there.
0: How old were you when you had the sabbatical? Because I, I think that's so awesome and I think that's so important because I feel like a lot of the time, and I certainly felt this when I graduated acting school, that there was like this big rush. And it was like, oh, you can't take a sabbatical. You can't. Mm. The worst thing you can do because people will forget you, or like you've just got momentum. And how can you take a sabbatical? How important was that for you? And what did that?
1: How did that impact you positively? I guess I, I didn't really feel like I had any momentum to walk away from anyway. To be honest, like I'd I'd gone back to uni and gotten another degree. I'd already sort of stepped away a little bit from it, mm. and a lot of people sort of moving to you know, to LA. And I just couldn't fathom that for some reason. I just, I ummed and about it on and off over years. And then in the end, I just never made the move. And I think it's because it's not really what I want. Obviously it's not, otherwise I would have done it. And a lot of people were moving to London and getting involved with the theatre there, but I just didn't want to, like, I just wanted to go somewhere very different and do something very different. So yeah, I was in my, what was I, mid twenties, I think. And you went to Nepean. Is that
0: right? Yeah. So that sounded like it was an awesome course. What yes. was that like? Because it sounds to me, I read about it and I talk to people who've been there, and I'm like, that actually sounds
1: like Mecca. It's yeah. like- It well, it wasn't Mecca because there was no money. It was like a really poor Mecca. No, shame. <laughs> um, there was no air conditioning or anything. Like we used to park our carts in a cow paddock. So yeah, it was like, it you know, it was an incredible place. Like it really, really was. And it was born out of a time where there was money going into the arts. But uh, when that particular federal government came into power, they put in some changes that made it impossible. Uh, for the creative arts or performance degrees to sustain themselves. And since that's happened since the early 2000s, the performing arts schools that are still around now have only survived by getting masses of influx of money, support, philanthropy, or developing their open programs. So we, you know, we kind of went through at a really, really difficult time because it was announced that it was finishing when we were just finishing like our, our first year. And I remember walking into the, like the common room and our head of acting, Terence Crawford, was sitting in there and he was devastated. He was crying and we all just stood there and he told us that it was over. And it was, it was a big slap in the face because, you know, we were young and, and like full of hope for our careers and we were in a place that had just been told with a resounding, no, you are not worthwhile. You are not important enough to our culture and our society. So that was a really, really hard pill to swallow. So there were a few changes being made to the course that we'd gotten into, but we got through those three years. One of the best things about Nepean was this, this thing that had been devised years before I went there called Centre Stage, where when you're in second year, you spent the year doing a series of fundraisers and you'd work together as a group to make anywhere between twenty to $30,000 and you would use that money to take two of your graduating shows to the city for a season at the Seymour Centre. So in second year, on top of you know, all of the classes, like the voice movement, the acting and all of the productions and rehearsal, we also then all of a sudden stepped into production side, to the producer mindset, I guess, where we had to figure out how to raise money. We had to figure out how we were going to move these shows. And we had a, an amazing technical team, Amanda uh, McNamara, who was just phenomenal, who was responsible for overseeing all of that sort of stuff. So we did and we took two shows and we had a season at the Seymour and so that I, I felt like that was a really good sort of way to help us understand what it takes you know to put on a show to actually understand the currency of money and how expensive it really is and also the other thing that they they did which was very useful was in a graduating production even in second year as well not just third year if you didn't have a lead role you had to also step into a production role so you know you might have a lead or a supporting lead role in one or two of the productions and then in the other production you would do something else. You would do stage management or operating or marketing. I somehow ended up being the standard marketing person. So I sort of took over from Luke Rogers, who was running things incredibly efficiently uh, in the office in his final couple of years there. And then I sort of stepped in. So I'd spend all my spare time in the Nepean office doing producer stuff. <laughs> you went as an actor, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I went as an actor, I was focusing on acting that was gonna be what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't even think about directing. I didn't even really know what that was. It just seemed like a whole other world to me that I couldn't do. So what was the first show you ever direct? Well, actually, first year out of drama school, my friend uh, Kate Skinner and I started a theatre company and we did a little pub show, which I directed. But I was I was so reluctant to call myself the director because I didn't think I was qualified. So I was like, oh, I directed it, but with everyone else's help. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. So do you
0: prefer directing or do you enjoy acting as well?
1: I, I really like both sides of it. I, the directing sort of train that I'm on now started at the beginning of 2015 when I missed out on a, on a big acting job that was going to see me move to Melbourne. And I had this play that I'd wanted to do for a while, but there wasn't a role in it that was suitable for me but I had a really strong idea about how I wanted to do it. And I really, really wanted to put it on and I wasn't happy with just producing it. And I just thought, well, I'm going to give this a go. And I loved it. I really, really loved it. And it was terrifying. It was beyond scary, like way scarier than acting. And I guess that's because it was newer to me. And I just didn't feel like I'd proven myself. Whereas I felt like, oh, I've established myself, I know I can act, I know what kind of actor I am. But I had an amazing assistant director with me He's one of my best friends, Garth Holcomb, and he was, like, the most amazing support. So so 2015, I sort of started the, the train that I'm on now, I guess.
0: Awesome. That's not that long ago.
1: No. Well, like, no, it's not. But then I just, that year, I did, like, five shows. Yeah, was, right. It's, I, I was performing in one of them, but the other four I directed or mm-hmm. assistant directed or co-directed or...
0: And they were all independent
1: productions? Yes. Well, yeah, like there was a drama school production in there. Um, I went down to Tasmania to direct a production for Loudmouth. I... Shivered was the first show of that year that I did. I performed in a one-woman show, Dark Melly Jungle, in September. And what else? Yeah, I did a drama school uh, grad show with Moy Stafford that I co-directed with him. Wow.
0: Yeah. All in one year. Yeah. Incredible. So, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. So on that, I mean, being independent, among most of those productions being independent. I mean, how do you sustain yourself and what are your tips on finding work-life balance because we know that, you know, independent, maybe you have to wait to be paid, maybe you don't get yeah. paid. It's not it's not a consistent income. So what are your tips, particularly for younger people, younger emerging producers coming up because that can be so
1: stressful, particularly if you've never done it before. And all of a sudden you're
0: like holy shit, I can only eat me goreng for two weeks.
1: Yeah, like um, like just talking about my parents again, I, I'm lucky that I have a home that I can essentially come back and hang my hat when I need to. I wouldn't suggest necessarily that my way of doing things is the smart way of doing it. Like the way I do things is very much, oh, I, I just want to do this so I'm going to do it and I'll figure out everything else later, yeah. which isn't great and I'm in debt all the time I mean I just produced a show that was so far above my budget or what I could afford to do and I'm actually sitting in like I've maxed out two credit cards right now and I'm waiting for the reconciliation to come back I have no money I don't suggest doing that but then on the same token I go well I can't get like I've tried I do try to get funding and we do try talking to philanthropy and stuff like that but it's limited what's available and so sometimes you have to go well I still want to do this I'm going to find a way to make it work. So as far as work-life balance goes, I guess if you really want to do it, you have to find a job that's pretty flexible. I went back and got a teaching degree so I can teach in schools. That's pretty decent pay. I can pick it up whenever I want almost. Some days I'll teach, sorry, some weeks I'll teach one day a week uh, if I've got rehearsals and stuff around that. Uh, Other days I'll teach five days a week. So it's really flexible, but on the same token, you you don't know when your next paychecks coming from which is really really scary so I think it would be figure out how you're going to make the money actually figure that out because it's important I, I, I think when we were in third year we had certain actors in the industry who had worked consistently since graduating stand up at the MEAA information day and said if you want to be an actor, you can't work in any other fields. You can't do anything else. And I was like, well, you're a fucking idiot. Good. It's like a 4% employment rate, dude. Like I don't know how that's possible. So yeah, yeah. I would figure those things out. And then also find, find something else in your life that is, that brings you joy. Snowboarding brought me a lot of joy, but I had to go to the other side of the world to do it. And I couldn't do, you know have the performance side of things as well, so about a year and a half ago, I did discover something else that had nothing to do with the industry that brings me an immense amount of joy and it means that i 'm often you know exhausted, but like yeah, if you can find something else that helps what is it? Is it something awesome? Yeah, I play roller derby
0: yes that's dope yeah, I and mean, a lot of people do it I certainly did it. I was very like one track minded particularly when I graduated like oh. If I love anything else, it means I don't want acting or I don't want this industry. Yeah, it's
1: bullshit. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's absolute bullshit. And also you then just reek of desperation. Yeah. Like, one of the things that I've noticed now that I don't, I'm not focusing on acting, I'm not interested in it, and I've just gone, I'm going to take a bit more control of my own career instead of waiting for someone to say to me, oh, you're right for this role or this is what you should be doing. I'm not a writer, I've never written anything, uh, really. It's not my kind of jam, it's just not what I'm good at, but I am good at making things happen. So that's where my kind of skill set lies, I suppose, and it helps you then propel into other creative endeavours. And the more things that you can do, directing, writing, producing and acting, sure. But the more things that you're capable of doing, I think the more fulfilling your life will be because if you're just acting, you're going to be pretty miserable.
0: Yeah. Now, in terms of like running a theatre company, to take my hat off to you because it's it's a big job. How do you... I was like doing a bit of a stalk, as you do. So you produce and
1: direct a lot of your shows. So how do you Mm -hmm. wear the hats? It depends where... I'm producing, I suppose. And also the more that you produce, the easier it is. Okay. So like, you know, with Bengal, I didn't, the producer side of that project was not difficult for me because I was at a venue I'd worked at before, essentially. And uh, financially I had that extra support that comes with doing a show at the Fiat's or at Griffin Independent or whatever. It's not an external hire. So financially it's not as demanding. Yeah. So it's just experience. The more you do it, the better, I suppose. Uh, but it does take its toll on you. I think sometimes you have to, uh, I found this actually more so when I was acting producing, because if I went into bump in, like if I go into production week or tech, it was really kind of hard for me to take that hat off and focus on the job that i had to do as an actor Mm. i had to sort of go okay i'm not looking after that side of things that was harder i think it's easier to split those two roles when you're directing because you're sort of outside looking
0: in in terms of directing an independent show do you find do you prefer to have longer rehearsal periods or do you have short sharp ones this is something i've been talking a lot uh, mm. a lot about that with everyone I'm interviewing, yeah. all of us doing independent theatre and like the answers are so varied. Yeah, Some are like, no, let's give them a long time. Some people are like, no, take, take all the time off work. Let's get it done in like two weeks.
1: I think it depends what the production is. I think sure. that's a really, really important part in that decision. Often it will be a financial um, consideration, but at the end of the day, like Bengal, for example, originally it was just scattered rehearsal. It was one to two days a week, then two days, then two to three days a week. And that actually came about just trying to fit around everyone else's availability. So like I had a cast of seven, And it was just like, I hardly worked at all. That's one of the reasons I'm so broke is because I honestly could not accept hardly any work because I had to be available for everyone else. And then I decided to bring in a chorus. So then I needed all seven people there. And it was just, it was hard. But because of the type of show, it really needed a long process. I had actors who had to learn Arabic that couldn't speak a word of it. Um, I had actors that needed to really sit and resonate in what the given circumstances of the world of the play really was. I don't think that anyone can just step in to a four-week rehearsal process and go, yeah, okay, I turned up 9 to 5, now I know what it is to be a Marine in the Army or, yep, now I know what it is to be an Iraqi living throughout, you know, the Iraq War. That's bullshit. Like, you need time and I assume that my actors will be dedicated enough to spend all of that extra time at home percolating in the world of the play. And they do. And they did. You also need extra time up your sleeve if shit goes wrong mm-hmm. because shit goes wrong often, a lot.
0: Yeah. And what's your advice when shit does go wrong? Because I sometimes feel when I was had an independent theatre company in Queensland, sometimes I felt a bit boxed in because I didn't have money to play with, so like sometimes there was an actor I really needed to fire but we were on in two weeks
1: or like stuff like that where you're really boxed, yeah, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think you have to, when that happens, you have to hope to God that there's someone else out there that can step in and do the role and do it justice in Sydney there are no shortage of brilliant young actors around. Like at the end of the day, if you have a decision to make, you have to make the right decision. That is for the safety of your cast and the benefit of the production. Yeah. Money money does suck because sometimes, you know, you have a certain role that you need to cast and you desperately need someone of this ethnicity, this age, this sort of casting range And it's really hard to find that person because everyone that fits into that that sort of pocket are working full-time all the time already and uh, or... They're not in a position to do co-ops or to do independent theatre because they have a family to support because they've got two small children, you know, and a house and it's just not possible for them.
0: What what plays are you drawn to? Do you pick plays based on this is a new hot play or is it like this has a lot to say right now? What's usually the driving force? Or is it just like purely emotional where you're like, oh, that I don't know why that, I just need to do this. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of that. Like, I'm a very emotionally driven person. So if I could move a play that could be brilliant intellectually and have incredibly deep intellectual arguments or political resounding, you know, statements. But if it doesn't move me, I don't really want to do it. Like, I just... I have to be able to sit in this rehearsal room for two to three months and be passionate about the story that I'm telling. And I have to have a reason to get out of bed and go because it, it does, it takes everything from you doing these shows as it should, I suppose. So you really do need to care about it. And I think the the majority of shows that I've directed, I have also produced meaning that I have chosen to do it or someone sent it to me and I loved it. And I went, yeah, okay. I'm going to add that to my list. But yeah, like oh god, I don't know. I do try and read a range of plays from a range of places and a range of, you know, contemporary and classics and stuff. I am drawn to contemporary theater. And yeah, I mean, look the plays that I've I've just actually been reading a lot because it's submission season. And the plays that have made it to sort of my shortlist, they're all quite different, but they and they all have yeah, they all have very different messages that they're saying, I suppose but they all moved me for some reason in some way. Now, in terms of the arts cuts that happened,
0: did that affect you or did you not really feel feel those effects?
1: Well, directly not as much because we never got any anyway. Sure. So like it's been a long time since money has trickled down to that tier. I find, though, it does, it does essentially trickle down because if it cuts the medium sector, then they're limited to what they can, you know, offer support. Um, an example, I guess, is that um, we are very much reliant on the support of the main stage companies. If they don't, or, and the, main, the big institutions, educational institutions as well. If they don't support us anymore, and by support I mean helping us out with rehearsal venues when we get stuck, building a set for a cheaper price than they would usually, hiring out costumes and set pieces at a much cheaper price um, than they would usually. All of that kind of stuff, you know, if if they pull that support from us, that's going to make a huge difference as to what we can produce and what we can do. And when the strain is felt for them, they're less likely to help us out as well, I think, you know. But, you know, in saying that, like we... (laughs) the the um the resources that we got to make bengal happen the way it did were quite phenomenal and if it wasn't for the fact that my designers had very good working relationships with the institutions and the theater companies that they work with we wouldn't get what we got you know because there's no way that and a lot of people were watching that show and they went how how did you do that like how can you do that in independent theater well it's because people will help each other out, you know? And so my hope is that that will not change, that that will stay the same. But, yeah, like, obviously we do feel the cuts because it just means it's even less likely for us to ever get the money that we need.
0: And how important are venues like the Old Fits to the ecosystem of Sydney?
1: Well, the Old Fits is kind of the, the I guess, the beating heart of the independent sector at the moment. It's really important, you know, if the fits wasn't around i don't actually quite know what 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 we would have because yeah. that that's kind of it that's where everyone wants to work at the moment, but it's like it's super hard I mean you know redline have an immense amount of pressure on them they're pushing against a lot of stuff every single day they're pushing against a lot of stuff to make everything happen all the time yeah it's it's so important. people are leaving you know other subscribers are leaving sort of theaters that they used to go to and they're moving over to the fits because i guess i guess one of the things that i've sort of talked to a few people about recently is i think that some of the middle sort of sector and maybe even the the bigger companies are being a bit held back by their possibilities because they have a board to answer to they have patrons to answer to they have you know yeah sponsors that they have to please Mm. and I guess for Andy like he has a lot more creative freedom as to what he wants to do and what he wants to program yes he has they have patrons but I know some of them and they are so supportive of the work that goes on they absolutely love it so those people are out there I think that I don't know what it's like to sit in a boardroom at at Sydney Theatre Company. I have no idea, but I can imagine it would be pretty difficult. And also for other companies that are funded only because they meet certain requirements as to, you know, programming only Australian plays, for example. I think Australian plays are incredibly important, but I think that we can sometimes we can... you know restrict our possibilities as storytellers mm. if we cut out every other option because i think we're better than that but that's my opinion <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah no i love it i agree with you 100% like do you think that that's the new way because what i love about the fits is that it's an experience from start to finish it's not like oh i'm at it's, it's they're not separate issues like you walk into the bar you're already a part of the theatrical theatrical experience from start to finish yeah. sometimes now feel like if I do go to STC or Belvoir like they're separate experiences it's not holistic do you think that Mm. that makes sense do you think that that's like particularly for the younger generation because I just like the Fitz is making theater cool again
1: yeah 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 it does make theater cool I guess that's a good word for it if you know but it could still they still could you know they definitely need a bit more support a bit more backing to to keep things up and running because it's it's an old garage. (laughs) So it might be cool to go and visit, but to work in it, it can be hard. Yeah. And that's why when you read articles from other artistic directors that talk about like having rain outside and fireworks really as, you know, (laughs) convenience to the rehearsal space, I just, yeah, I don't quite know how to respond to that seriously. So... (laughs) Yeah. Like I know what you mean, you know, they can have a more of a sterile feeling, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think that there is a possibility. Well, I would love to see that is that you can liven up those, those kind of foyers. You can make them more of a creative hub. I, I'd love to see some of those foyers open during the day as cafes, as like, you know, use, having used books or having artworks up on the wall, you know, um, having poetry readings throughout the day or having, you know, a, you know, a singer-songwriter. Like, just to liven things up a little bit, that would be really, really beautiful because there are there, there's theatres that are sitting there that are dark all day, yeah. you know, and completely shut on Mondays, for example, or Tuesdays or whatever, and it's just a waste of real estate. But... You know, I know that it's, that running costs are, are tough. And um, that's where I just think that it all trickles down from the very top. Sydney real estate is just disgusting.
0: <laughs> well, just, we just need to stop drinking coffee and eating smashed avocado.
1: Yeah, it's all, it's all our fault. Yeah, basically. Yeah, we're
0: wasting money.
1: <laughs> well,
0: obviously, naturally. Yeah. So what's so what's the big dream for your theatre company? In 10 years, dream casting, money's not an issue. Where do you want it to be?
1: I would love to see another venue open. Like, I think that, that the work is there. I think the audience are there. And I think that the creatives are there in spades and the stories are definitely there. I think that at the moment, you know, we've got so limited, such limited venues to work with. I would love, yeah, I would love to see another venue open. I think that's something that, you know, maybe one day, you know, I'd, I'd have a hand in, in something like that that kind of artistic director role, but I don't know that I wanna answer to people. Yeah. (laughs) No, fair enough, that's totally fair. So I don't know, I have no idea what my, what the end goal is really. It's like I said, some point money does come into play. Things need to become sustainable. Like I can't, living at my parents at the moment, I can't stay here forever. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. (laughs) Um, What kind of actors do you like to work with? I like to work with actors who are self-motivated, who are, you know, will do other things in their career to further their career, that are not just waiting to be told what to do, when to do it. I like actors that are interested in telling the actual story. There's a lot lot of times, you know, actors will come in for an audition or they'll want an audition or they'll want to work on a play just because they want something to do you know, because they're desperate to work. and I don't blame them, you know. That, like I totally understand that. I know how it feels. But that's not the reason that you should do a play. Mm. It's just not. Like if you don't care about the story, then you shouldn't be doing it. My The the cast that I had for Bengal cared so deeply about that story and about their characters and, and why they were on stage every night. And I was like, this is what it should always be. And sometimes you go and watch a play and you know I think that the audience absolutely knows if the actors do not give a shit about the story they're telling. Mm. So obvious, because if they don't care, then the audience won't care that, you know. So yeah, I like actors like that, really. And I like it when they turn up on time. That's really nice. Like <laughs> a simple fun. request, you know. Yeah. No, I, I just I, I just like them, the, the, the ones that have discipline. I like working with actors that have discipline and are doing it for the right reasons. And how important do you think is that the emerging discussion
0: about uh, mental health and the arts? Because I know now we've got, like, the Artist Wellness Collective opening up in Melbourne, soon to be in Sydney. How do you think that will positively affect
1: the industry and the work you do as well? Mm. Well, I think that something that is so difficult in the arts is that we get pushed to our limits like our absolute limits because money is such an issue Mm -hmm. like being creative the minute that you have a creative mind all of it already your brain works in such a way that it processes things differently you add a whole heap of extra stress on yourself I have an a type personality, so I put huge pressure on myself i 'm incredibly competitive. I find it hard to sometimes keep things in perspective, mm-hmm. so you 're already at a risk of all of these other factors and and mental health issues to then add to that uh, lack of security, not having any money, not knowing how you 're going to pay the rent, constant rejection you know audition after audition not not being told what like that you haven't got the role like this it 's disgusting i literally sat in front of the computer for three hours yesterday and emailed everyone. I just saw over a hundred actors for Dryland land and I sat down and I emailed everyone that auditioned to thank them for coming in. So I had to do all the callback auditions, but I also emailed everyone anyway. And I don't just ignore them. Yeah. Just, I think we really need to treat each other with respect and be kind to each other. I think that's really important. And I think that that gets thrown down that anyway. Yeah. I, I think that mental health is a huge problem. We're already dealing with emotional beings. Creative people are emotional. They're very empathetic. They feel things very, very deeply. And so when you add all of those other things on top of it, it can become overwhelming. Yeah, I think that the Wellness Collective is a really good idea. I think that the more that people talk about uh, how they're feeling and feel like they can openly discuss those things that's really important you know of my parents generation they didn't talk about mental health at all Mm. but our generation is different you know like I I had to I was really really sick last week I had a, a severe anxiety attack and I couldn't go to a full day of auditions and I had to figure out how to cancel everything and you know 30 years ago no one would admit to that and then when I got there the next day I actually told the a reader, the actor that was with me, I just told her straight away. I said, "This is actually why I wasn't here, mainly because I overshare, <laughs> and I feel like everyone wants to know my problems." But I'm really glad that I told her because she was like, "Oh, yeah, okay." And then we talked about it for 20 minutes, and I think we have to. I think we have to be open about it. I think that's important. I really appreciate that uh, as a
0: younger, as a young actor, because. I think I'm guilty of it. And it's something that's come up in every podcast I've done where I would look at someone like you and be like, she would never have an anxiety attack. She wouldn't. (laughs) Like a really successful director. Like she wouldn't never have an anxiety attack. So thank you so much for sharing that. That's really beautiful. And I think it's going to be really important for many younger artists emerging and older as well to hear because it's a totally normal thing. And the more we
1: normalize it, the better. Yeah, it is. And I think it's important to know that everyone's fighting their own battles like yeah. everyone it doesn't matter who they are like how successful you think they are or how strong or how confident you think they are a guarantee like everyone's got their own things how awesome was bengal
0: i couldn't even go i think i messaged you that saying um i'm selfishly pissed off I, really <laughs> I like just text people at the old office being like help a brother out and they're like yeah
1: heaps can't. sorry heaps can't yeah sorry <laughs> um, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really good. It was a, a, a lovely creative experience. It was, it, it was tough, I suppose, in a lot of ways, because I, I'd made it really big. I made it kind of quite ambitious, I suppose, creatively. And there was a moment where I went, oh, fuck, I don't, what if this doesn't work? You know, but it did with the help of like my design team who were just so amazing you know and our stage manager brooke kiss who's just like everyone give her a job she's the best
0: (laughs) tune in next week when we talk to the entrepreneurial actor natalie drenovac